0: Welcome to TD Cowan Insights, a space that brings leading thinkers together to share insights and ideas shaping the world around us. Join us as we converse with the top minds who are influencing our global sectors.
1: Welcome to the Retail Visionary podcast series, a podcast about visionary ideas and people. My name is Oliver Chen. I'm TD Cowan's new platforms, retail, and luxury analyst. In this episode, we'll discuss miracle lessons from the Lovesack story. Lovesack is a modern furniture brand which offers fully customizable products inclusive of the world's most adaptive couch and the world's most comfortable seat. Today, we're thrilled to feature Lovesack's founder and CEO and my friend Sean Nelson. Sean is the company's head designer. He also leads sourcing, creative, design, public relations, IR, and culture. He also recently published a book on the Love Sack story titled, Let Me Save You 25 Years. Congratulations, Sean. And in 2005, Sean won Richard Branson's The Rebel Billionaire on Fox and continues to participate in ongoing TV appearances. Sean has a master's degree in strategic design and management, and is a graduate-level instructor at Parsons, the new school for design in New York City. Sean, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, Sean, by way of introduction, can you walk us through the brand's iconic history? It all started off as a sack. What milestones are you most proud of?
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I'll, I'll try to keep it short. It's 25 years, but today, Love Sack is most known for our couches. You know, They're all over TV. We make these extremely modular couches. You can have the rest of your life. We have 270 love sack touch points that you can find your way into to see these things and understand them. And uh, we're really proud of what we've become. We have a long way to go, but we started, you know, when I was 18 years old, sitting on my parents' couch, I thought it'd be funny to make a giant bean bag. So I, you know, like from me to the TV, the whole floor, uh, and I got off the couch, drove down to Joanne's Fabrics, bought some fabric, brought it home, cut it out, sewed it up, took me three weeks to stuff it, couldn't find enough beanbag beads, so chopped up my parents' camping mattresses on a paper cutter. And uh, anyway, everywhere I took this giant beanbag that would fill the bed of a truck, it was so big, everyone was like, holy cow, where did you get that thing? I want one of those. And obviously uh, knew that there was some demand there, but, but look, I was busy getting through college I took a couple of years off to go become a missionary I came back uh, back in college and and pulled the thing out of the garage used it again and everyone wants one so finally my neighbors convinced me to make them one I make them one start a company that you know to sell it to them it needs a name love peace hate war hippie bag bean bag love bag love sack and before you know it their friends want one and their friends want one and it becomes my side hustle at the University of Utah as I'm getting through college, selling love sacks, uh, these giant, not bean bags full of chop foam to friends and family, whatever. And I'm waiting tables at night, paying my way through school, just surviving. And uh, in it, really, in, in 2001, two things happen. We get a huge order from a giant retailer who wants 12,000 of these little ones. And uh, that forces me to build a factory. We complete the order, break even. My workers want to keep going. So we open a store in Salt Lake City, Utah called Love Sack because none of the retailers would have us. None of the furniture guys thought we were even in like a real thing. The store explodes and leads to many dozens. I, a few years pass by. We have stores all over the West in malls called Love Sack. People are trying to buy the couch in the corner that's just there to look pretty. We start thinking about making couches. I win a reality TV show with Richard Branson, a million dollars that helps us raise venture capital, uh, eventually private equity. Somewhere in the middle, we had to stop and reorganize the whole company. It was a terrible train wreck of a mess. Uh, it's all in the book. Let me save you 25 years, all the gory details and and a lot of truth. Try to be very honest about the mistakes, miracles, and lessons from the LoveSag story. And Anyway, fast forward to today, we now have 220 of our own locations, 50 more lovesack shop and shops inside of Best Buy. We do no wholesale. We sell mostly couches. These couches we invented along the way uh, that are modular, changeable, washable. um, I think the best solution to a really fragmented category, big ticket item that's uh, grown our business rapidly. We came public on NASDAQ in 2018 at about 100 million in sales. And uh, this year we're wrapping up close to 700, uh, You know, I think five, five years later. So pretty proud of the growth um, and uh, continues. We continue to invent new things with this design philosophy that emerged along the way called Design for Life. And there's a lot more to talk about there, but that's uh, 25 years as, I guess, rapidly as I could.
1: Sean, thank you. Um, circularity is a, a big topic for us as well as sustainability. What is your design philosophy? Uh, what does design for life mean, and how does that interplay with the world's most adaptable couch? If you know, sectionals are the
0: chicken that turned out to be the driver of the growth that we've built this company on, design for life is the egg. And we didn't know that at the time. We had the chicken before the egg, but as we watched customers, loving our products and really raving about them online uh, obviously sharing them with friends driving the growth that i described i mean we've been on kind of a 40% CAGR for almost a decade right it's pretty radical and we ask ourselves why is that right this is years back why 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 is this product really working what is it about the product and and as we observed and spent a lot of time and i was doing a lot of reading achieving a masters degree at parson's and then teaching there in the realm of sustainability and in the realm of sustainable design and all of these topics, we realized that our product answers the demands of real life better than other products in its category, right? Like our couch is machine washable and changeable and modular, it could move with you to your next location. It could, in fact, some of my satchels in my life are 16 years old, mated with brand new pieces, mated with our new shape uh, and styles. I think they're on the now eleventh set of covers. Just because it's fun to change the covers and have a new fashion, new style. They can evolve with your life as your life changes. They even have our embedded technology inside, so designed for life. Has we've teased out from sectionals means products that are built to last a lifetime, and designed to evolve as life changes, which sounds like some marketing. But the end result is true sustainability, products that were designed to actually sustain, not just because they were built well, but because they can actually change and grow and modulate as life changes. And designing those functions into products that you might be familiar with is a hard task, which is why we don't launch a lot of products. But when we do, we intend to sell them for decades and we intend them to be with you for decades. And it's a whole different way of thinking about product, I think, in a day and age when most stuff is disposable. Even the best stuff is disposable. And and the biggest companies were built on the backs of selling us the same device every year and discarding the old stuff. And and uh, so anyway, we're really proud to make things that could last a long time. And, it, and look, the implication is we'll have to innovate into other categories in order to keep growing and we're we're excited for that challenge
1: sean on that topic what does innovation mean to you uh stealth tech is very interesting and also i think you think a lot about the connected home as well yeah so
0: technology for us is just another outgrowth of the design for life approach it's undeniable that technology plays a significant role in all of our lives And, uh, why not the couch? Why not your living room? I I mean, it's already there, you know, everyone's streaming, watching Netflix and chilling. We need to be in that ecosystem. So we created stealth tech, a complete immersive surround sound system. You're looking at it in this chair. I'm sitting in, uh, front speakers, rear speakers, um, you know, Dolby 5.1 audio, also charging my phone right here as it sits on the arm invisibly. You won't see any of this. It's invisible. It just looks like an armchair. It looks in like a couch, a sectional. That's stealth tech. And it projects through the foam and fabric and even decorative cover layer to produce perfect, no sound quality loss audio on the other side. That's a significant investment of time represented there. It is a really good embodiment of design for life in action because the stealth tech pieces that are in this chair are added to a seat, a sectional seat that, by the way, is 16 years old, subwoofer hanging under there and everything. Everything we invent is reverse compatible with the platform we've already put out there. And so this whole ethos of sustainability and circularity, these pieces can go on and be used perhaps by others. And, you know, through trade-in programs, all this other stuff that's coming from LoveSack over time, services. So we we are the intersection of home overlapping with technology and services because ultimately it's already happening. You know, you could get on Facebook now and see people trading sactionals pieces. You know, they've decided to go to a different shape, different profiles. We launched those profiles, people with stealth tech, without stealth tech that want it on the second hand market. There's just so much, and it's so ironic to be. Doing technology, by the way, you know, we've sold more than 100 million in stealth tech already. And that's uh, not insignificant. That's just stealth tech, not including all the, you know, couches they're attached to. And so we're not a small player already in home audio. And we started as a beanbag company. So connecting design for life with circularity, with technology and home. That's where LoveSack will continue to innovate and thrive, and I think you're going to see a lot more innovation because no one else
1: is doing it the way we do it. Sean, adaptability, of course, is a hallmark of one of your core products. Um, what are the mo- co- most common ways in people use adaptability? Typically, stepping back as an, as examples.
0: Yeah, we see it in our business. In the you know, forty percent of our transactions, roughly, are repeat transactions which for a company that only sells a few products currently still sacks sectionals stealth tech with sectionals the various accessories that you can add on and modulate the product shows you that um, you know people are adapting the product from the moment they get it in fact we f- we find that most of that uh repeat business happens in their first year as people buy a couple more pieces they you know they get at home they set it up they realize hey i you know I'd love it to extend a little further. I would love an ottoman out front to kick my feet up on. They're buying more sectional pieces, the covers to match what they already have. They're satisfied when they do that, not just the first year, but maybe four years in. And surprise, we still have their fabric in stock because we never drop fabrics. We may move them from our stock line to our custom line, but your fabric will always be there so that you can add to your sectionals and have them grow with you. So this this kind of adaptability is just unheard of in our category and, and in most categories. And it's unique. It's the way we designed the product. So, you know, if it was a bit of an accident, we we just wanted to invent a couch that would fit in a box and be shippable and internetable and all these other things. But we solved all these problems along the way by breaking it down into these individual components. And by the way, these aren't just covers like most. You know, couches look like a floppy slip cover. Ours are very tight, and so. Adaptability is designed into the product platform, and then on that platform we can proliferate accessories, you know, obviously cover designs, new skins, and this will apply to other things that we do as well. Because forget the usefulness of that—you know, your dog chews a hole in the one corner of one cushion or arm; the whole couch could be made new by one cover. That's pretty neat, and from a sustainability standpoint, very critical. But you also just change your mind, your tastes change. you know you want to go navy, you want to go black, you want to go uh, all white, you want to have stripes like the one I'm sitting in. It's all possible with sectionals and with design for life products
1: in general. Sean, the industry structure is also interesting and fairly fragmented. Uh, what are your thoughts about growing your awareness in this context? And also, how you think about channel strategy.
0: So, LoveSac evolved from the survival mode as a side hustle in college to being a retailer. You know, we operated dozens of locations all around the country um, through venture capital, private equity, uh, and did fine. But we really flourished when we saw what was going on in 2015, 16, adopted a full direct consumer business model. And stopped thinking of them even as stores, but as showrooms to show the product that was being driven by digital advertising online, the website, and and even traditional advertising, TV, et cetera. That advertising model uh, worked for a product like ours that's so visual, so unique, modular, can move around, do all these cool things functionally. And to this day, we are 100% direct. We may be the only direct consumer brand that is, really. We have no wholesale and, by the way, profitable, still growing faster than our category. We're really proud of all of this success. And from a movement that, by the way, is now in many respects disparaged because of so many flameouts and and, um, I think, misinterpretations or misexecutions of that movement. So thankfully, we not only survived through it, but thrived. And we come to today where we operate, for instance, 50 of our uh, 270 touch points are inside of Best Buys as standalone, lovesack, shop and shops that we operate, our people, our checkout, our iPad, our data, which is critical to maintaining these relationships with customers over the long term. And we and we view that as critical and we do very well inside of that channel. Uh, and, and we're not against wholesale opportunities or, or other executions we're, we're open-minded as a brand generally and and, and you know we'll continue to evolve as a true omni-channel business as we are today but um i'm very proud of how we've pivoted and grown and and this movement from re from being a retailer to operating touch points is very you know it sounds like marketing or something but in reality most of the people that are coming into our showrooms today, they, they've been shopping for sectionals for a while. They've heard about it from a friend. They're planning on it, but come on, it's five, seven, 10, 15,000 bucks with stealth tech embedded. I got to see this thing in person. It, there's no way it's that solid. There's no way it's that reliable. There's no way it's that comfortable. What about the stealth tech? I got to hear it, feel it myself. That's what the touch points are there for. And the next products we invent will be similarly complex and unique and probably will, will require touch points as part of the executions. And, and so I can't you know, advocate for this business model other than it pairs well with what we do. And it's been, it's been really successful.
1: Another retailer uh, we really admire is Costco. Would love for you to elaborate on your pop-ups with Costco and the rationale there. We love Costco as well. Of course,
0: they've uh, developed an amazing customer, an amazing reputation. They speak to a high-end consumer. They speak to a value-minded consumer all at once. Of course, that's where our customer is. You know, we don't sell cheap stuff. Like it's easy to misinterpret LoveSack as because we started as a beanbag company for some kind of uh, value furniture play. And and we are value in the sense that we provide value, washable, changeable, you know, long-lasting stuff fits really well with the whole Costco ethos and the whole Costco customer, but our stuff's expensive. And so even within Costco where people are happy to get a little bit of value from a you know a package deal around Lovesack, you know you could, it only comes in these colors, classic Costco setup, it's also our setup. We operate um, these temporary pop-up shops that are there for 10 days. they rotate around Costco's We probably operate four or five, six of them at a time right now in real time at any given moment all around the country and then they move, move around it's our person it's our execution it's we control the environment we're very passionate about that and it's worked really well for us and we're really we're really proud of that execution and i think we're you know i one of the most successful pop-ups that according to Costco that they've ever seen and it has a lot to do with our product and our marketing and the size of prize and all these other things but um it's a great partnership and, and there could be others like it, you know, looming, but um, we'll continue to be open-minded about channel strategy.
1: Another part of the business, Sean, uh, which you're laser focused on is customer lifetime value. Um, what's led to stickiness? What are the key drivers that you're focused on to, to both reduce churn and acquire new customers? Well, for LoveSack,
0: one of the hallmarks of our success is that we are taking a significant customer lifetime value chunk at the first purchase. I mean, it's it's our our CLV to CAC ratio is typically you know around four or five x, and most of that is taken at the first purchase. And so we are not relying on that hopeful third fourth fifth purchase to get us over the profitability hump. We're there on day one, and then we add to it. And, and we track our cohorts by year. And what's neat is is within that CLV to CAC ratio that we publish in our deck, for instance, we don't even show out years because we're just, we choose to be really conservative about the ways that we report. But in chief truth, we see people r- repeating uh, uh, past a decade of owning their sacks because they last that long. Our core products, our sacks do as well. You can come back for a new cover for a super SAC you bought from me in college. In the early 2000s, is not a joke. And they are out there. And so that's what leads to stickiness. Products that last a long time and have been developed as a platform to provide ongoing adaptation, improvement, upgrading the stealth tech I mentioned, all this stuff that we'll continue to layer on and make reverse compatible. And look, it's really antithetical to how the world does product, new season, new collection, out with the old, in with the new. But that generates a lot of waste and we're and that's something that I'm not proud to be a part of, you know, as, as a part of this new economy. And so I am proud of how we choose to do business and, and like we didn't set off this way. I was trying to make a big beanbag. But but these attributes that I keep harping on um around design for life are what creates the business model that's working for us. And we're really proud of that.
1: Sean, we're living in one of the worlds. Most volatile supply chain environments we've ever seen. Uh, What are you seeing with the supply chain? And also, what about prices and the cross currents on volatility of inflation? Oh, man, so much happening in supply chain over the last
0: half a dozen years. A quick observation, I don't think the world appreciates just how much damage the Trump tariffs did to China. I think it's fascinating to watch companies like mine that had most of their manufacturing in china i don't know five six years ago are are now completely out of china almost and most many in vietnam spread all over asia back to mexico we're even doing stuff in mexico and north america now and china uh has changed dramatically uh still very robust and and so much of the machinery and milling and all that stuff happens there and and it's a very strong environment but but the um from a capability standpoint, but the economy is so lackluster right now, in part because of those tariffs in particular that, that kind of forced us to rethink our entire supply chain. So we'll start there. Obviously, what's happening with container prices just went bonkers during COVID, cost us a fortune and just wasted money, honestly, as container prices just went berserk uh, in that environment. And it's, it was sad to see our gross margins get down below 50%, where for LoveSack, we're back up into the high 50s where we've kind of always trafficked and we're proud of that in our category. And yet we're facing container pressure again, hopefully not to that degree, we'll see, with what's going on in the Red Sea. And so from logistics overseas to manufacturing that's now been diversified, and for us, it's unique as well because of how we do things. Like for sectionals, you buy a bunch of seats, buy a bunch of sides, you can build any couch you want. As long as we never run out of seats and sides, we're generally pretty good. And that's a huge advantage in our world, just the way that we designed it. Well, we redundantly manufacture those seats and sides across many geographies throughout Southeast Asia, which gives us a lot of insulation for, as things get crazy. Uh, the container thing though is another, just another aspect of this chopped up supply chain that's out there. And- And that's why, again, we continue to, and many others like us, continue to look at reshoring, continue to look at Mexico, continue to dabble in that and and move production there piece by piece as we sort of morph and react to this, uh, as you said, very disrupted global supply chain that continues to be disrupted on an ongoing basis.
1: Sean, uh, I see you as a a CEO, but I know you're also an artist, a fellow lover of fashion. You're purpose-driven and you're a TV start too what <laughs> what motivates you uh, and do you have any closing remarks as well?
0: Thank you, yeah, look, sometimes people ask me twenty five years in, why are you still stoked on this? Look, we have threaded the needle with Lovesack. It took us a long time to get here. We made a lot of mistakes. I'm very honest about it in the book. Let me save you twenty five years it's all there. uh check it out if if you want the whole story and some of the gory details, but um what motivates me now is that design philosophy you know we've stumbled through you know by originally making a beanbag and and parlaying that into couches that were in the corner of that first store trying to make a better one we stumbled into this beautiful design philosophy in making things that are built to last a lifetime designed to evolve it's an inspiring philosophy and i and i don't mean that to tune my own horn we like i said we stumbled into it but with it, we think we can dominate this category, other categories, and design really, really good things that are beautiful and not cheap and compel people, even like that value customer that I spoke of, to break out three credit cards or, or take on you know our synchrony financing to buy our expensive products in the, in the hope that they can buy better stuff, to buy less stuff, which is a weird thing. For a company that makes stuff to say, but that's our stated purpose at LoveSac, and that keeps me going and, and gives me the opportunity to design products, beautiful products that are not just aesthetically beautiful, but you know, useful and value-hyphenable and sustain-hyphenable, real value they really sustain, and then even work with artists like you know Jeremy Scott. Of, you know that was with Moschino and and uh, Stacy Bendit and recently Swarovski crystals on a collab for Nordstrom around our blankets and beautiful things as well. What a blessing! What an opportunity! And I'm just proud after so many years to still be here and see the company thriving, and believe that we've got another 25 years in this brand at least, and that keeps me going. and And so keep your eye on LoveSack. I think we have developed into a company i'm really proud of and and, and one that's proud to bear the ticker on nasdaq l-o-v-e uh, appropriate for a culture that's built on that ethos and uh proud of all these aspects
1: of this business that i've had the pleasure of building over all of my adult life well sean it's been a pleasure it's great to see this continuous innovation Also, the trust that you've inspired across many stakeholders from customers to your employees and rethinking this industry, which is ripe for lots of change and sustainability efforts as well. Thanks for joining us, Sean. Thanks for having me. Great to see you.
0: Thanks for joining us. Stay tuned for the next
1: episode of TD Cowan Insights.